I really appreciate uh, Roger um, standing in the pulpit last week and for Chris helping out while Mark is gone. And somebody told me just this morning, they said, uh, um, boy, things went really well without you last Sunday. <laughs> but we're glad you're back. Uh, but what a blessing it is to be in a church where there is such a wealth of godly people who can serve in a number of positions. And we don't skip a beat. And that's the blessing of the church of God. It's the way it should be. So very, very grateful for that. But at the end of our passage last week, I want to remind you, or actually two weeks ago, that Peter makes the point that he says that no prophecy was ever given by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And yet, as we will see this morning, there will always be those who speak lies right alongside those who, who are speaking the truth. So if you will, turn to Second Peter chapter 2, and let's look at these words together. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Before we do that, let me go before the Lord in prayer. God, we do come to you, and it's right that we pause as we open your word, because this is what you have inspired for the purpose of revealing your truth to us. And yet we pause because we realize that in and of ourselves, we can't discern truth. We don't have wisdom on our own. We are dependent upon you for all life and godliness. What we read only makes sense as your spirit instructs us, as you teach us, as you guide us, as you lead us. So this morning as we enter into your word those holy inspired words from your mouth to your people. May we be attentive in our hearts and with our ears and in our minds so that your good work can be done in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You see... The verse connects to what we finished with the last time we looked at Second Peter. And he says, hey, listen, just as there were false teachers that coexisted with, or false prophets that coexisted with true prophets, he goes on to say there will also be false teachers who will coexist alongside of those who speak the truth. It's kind of like what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Peter's writing and saying it was true back then, it's true now, and it'll be true forever. And I want you to notice as Peter writes these words how he introduces them. He says he identifies the false teachers as those who will rise up, look at verse 1, among you. In other words, these will be people of influence inside the Christian church. Instead of being transformed by the truth and living it out in the world, these false teachers are 
conformed by the world and then trying to convince others to live that out in the church. Peter goes on to describe some some distinguishing characteristics of these false teachers. And as he does, he seems to contrast them with those that speak what is true. In fact, he goes back to verse, I think about verse 16 and 17, where Peter shared that what he knew to be true was from first-hand experience. He saw it with his own eyes. He, he heard it with his own ears. And now he proclaims it openly and publicly to everyone. But look at what the false teachers do. In verse 2, it says, or verse 1, it says, they secretly introduce destructive heresies. You see, instead of a public proclamation like the apostles, the false teachers are known to introduce subtle secrets. It's the conversation around the water cooler. Or maybe more appropriate in our time, a conversation around the coffee bar. Hey, you don't really take all this religious talk too seriously, do you? I mean, after all, let's be realistic. Some of what's in the Bible just doesn't work in the real world. I mean, I wish it was that easy, but it just doesn't happen that way. Hmm. What I'm finding as I read this letter is that the most destructive heresy of the false teachers may not be what they're suggesting that God did say. Very possibly, it's the art of selective teaching where they emphasize something that he didn't say. It's the sin of omission. Oh, you can't blame yourself for for finding that woman attractive after the way your wife treats you? What warm-blooded male wouldn't start to look around? God didn't say you had to be miserable, did he? God didn't say, did he? You see how that works? Isn't that a much more subtle and effective way to, to introduce lies into the church? I personally see this as one of the most destructive types of heresy in the church, both then and now. It is guilt by omission, avoiding certain truths in order to, to, to give permission to compromise. And it always works best. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and you start looking through the lens of what's best for me. And Peter says, they even deny the master who bought them. Now, now that's interesting. <laughs> when Peter says that they bought them, I believe he's describing the price that was paid on the cross that was sufficient for all mankind, including, in fact, the false teachers. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, the ransom for sin has been paid in full. The atonement, if you will, is unlimited. But here's the other side of that coin. That ransom is only effective for those who believe. In other words, if you reject the payment that was was made on your behalf, if you do not accept Christ's ownership of your life, if you do not submit to his authority, then in effect, you are denying his redemption. And you remain in the debt of your sin. By refusing his payment, you are accepting 
the condemnation that he paid in full on the cross. And when you have this debt, and I don't want this to sound flippant, I want it to be as serious as it's intended. But listen, when you own that debt of sin, there is literally hell to pay. That's the consequence. These false teachers were denying the authority of Jesus Christ. And I believe as we read through the letter, it was done so in order to justify their freedom of personal choice. For them to be in control. And listen, that is a false teaching both then and now. Because we need to look at what the truth of Scripture says. And the truth of Scripture says that everyone is a slave to something. Did you know that? That's what it says. Everyone is a slave to something. Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. He says this. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave of obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either sin resulting in death or obedience to Christ resulting in righteousness. You see, by rejecting Christ, you're not in control. You are a slave to sin. But by submitting to the authority of Christ, you are set free from that slavery to sin and you willingly subject yourself to the authority, the rightful authority of Christ in your life because of what he's done on your behalf. You're a slave to the one you obey. And Peter reminds us of the consequence of the decision. Denying Christ, he says, brings swift, or more literally in the, in the original uh, context, it says certain destruction. Denying Christ brings certain destruction. Living for self leads to death, but dying to self brings new life. And throughout history, mankind has found it difficult to accept this biblical paradox because really, If we're honest, it denies human logic. Our finite minds struggle to accept the mysteries of an infinite God. Dying to self brings new life. It it makes much more logical sense to say that to live for yourself, that's what you've got to do to really enjoy life. And that's why Peter says in verse 2 that many will follow them. Many will follow them. Doing what feels good is often easier than doing what's right. But the popular choice is very rarely the right choice. And did you notice that Peter didn't say that they followed their teaching? Did you notice that? These are false teachers, but it says what? They followed their sensuality. This supports the the observation that I made earlier that suggested the most destructive heresy is often not the lie that was added, but the truth that is omitted. Avoiding a specific teaching of Scripture implies permission. And this is especially true when it comes to immorality. When we're not attentive and and submissive to the authority of Christ and the instruction of His Word, when we ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and choose instead to do what is right in our own eyes, we will end up walking by our feelings and following the crowd. 
We will do things that are wrong because we have not taken time to understand what is right. And when what you see in the church looks no different than what you see in the world, what Peter writes next is true always. The truth will be maligned. The way of truth will be maligned. In other words, Christianity gets a bad name. And more importantly, the image of Christ intended to be reflected in the purity of the church becomes disfigured by the disease of compromise. Godliness is corrupted by worldliness. From the very beginning, whether it was Noah or Abraham, the Israelites, or even today, us in the church, God's people have always been called to live distinctly from the world so that their behavior might bring praise to the glory of God. But at the same time, all along that same pattern, the enemy has secretly introduced what is false to coexist with what is true. He intentionally dilutes the truth in order to minimize our distinction through compromise. And many will follow. Remember what Jesus told us when he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he instructs us, So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, watch Closely. Do not just judge by what you see on the outside. If you are wise and watchful, people will eventually show you their true colors, and that's what's on the inside. Peter says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You see, popularity brings power, and it feels good to have a following, both for the leader and those in the crowd. But this is a dangerous place to be because if we're not doing something for the right reasons, however righteous it may appear to be, it will eventually go to our head. We will compromise truth in order to preserve our popularity. Or sometimes, and I think this can be just as dangerous, we will only teach selective truths in order to avoid offending the crowd. But either way, the driving motivation is what's best for me. And this is the attitude that will eventually lead us away from a life lived for the glory of God and one lived for the pleasure of man. It would be a life centered on us and our needs and not him and his glory. And let me remind you, the Bible tells us that our God It's a jealous God. You know what that means? It means that he will not share the throne of your heart with anything or anyone else. You can't serve two masters. The Bible tells us that. You will love the one and hate the other, or you will cling to one and despise the other. Now, listen to me. False teachers will try to convince you differently. They will tell you that you can have both. That you can be a Christian and still do the things that you want to do. And and the way you do that 
is that you segregate your life so that your religious convictions don't interfere with your personal choices. The words Peter uses here are interesting. He says, they will exploit you with false words. That, that word exploit means literally to commercialize. In other words, false teachers will try to sell you some Jesus. Not a life of, of total devotion. I mean, this, let's not get crazy here. But instead, just enough of a religion to take away your guilt. But not enough to change your life. They will commercialize the truth, giving you the power to choose how far you're willing to go in order to make it more appealing to the masses. That is a false teaching, both then and now. Chuck Swindoll tells a true story about a friend of his who graduated from a pretty prestigious culinary school. And in order to really show off the depth of her skills... She threw a party upon celebration, invited guests, and at this party, she fixed these beautiful hors d'oeuvres, right? But what the guests didn't know, that the real substance of the hors d'oeuvre was dog food. (laughs) But they were impeccable. She served them on a a delicate cracker with a a wedge of an imported cheese, bacon bits, olive. It was topped with a, a slice of pimento. It looked delicious and so the people ate it up gone false teachers do the same thing they dress up their product so that it looks very appetizing but the fact is it's dog food it's dog food because here's the deal you can't sell jesus you can't do it You cannot commercialize the truth so that people are given permission to pick and choose what looks good to them, like you would in a Walmart grocery store. You cannot segregate your life so that you fulfill your religious duties and then go into your school or your workplace or your neighborhood and do what everyone else is doing because it's just easier to get along if you go along. And I know it's tempting because it looks like What everyone else is doing is so much fun, and they're getting away with it. (laughs) Why not? They seem to be doing just fine, right? Their life looks pretty good from where I'm sitting. But look at what Peter says next in verse 3. He says, Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It may look like there are no consequences to their decisions, but the truth is, The judgment for sin was established by God a long, long time ago. Only when we surrender our life to Christ, choosing to live under His authority and the counsel of His truth, do we avoid that condemnation, that judgment for sin. And only then are we protected from these lies promoted by the false teachers. And will you notice that their destruction is in Whose hands? God's hands. Didn't say our hands, did it? Their destruction is in God's hands. I I think far often, too often today, that Christians are so intent on identifying heresy that they compromise the importance of teaching truth. 
I know you've heard this before, but that's why those who are trained to identify counterfeit money do not spend their time studying false currency. There are so many variations of falsehood out there, you could not possibly know them all. The better strategy is to study the real thing so intently that when something false comes along, you immediately recognize it as something that is not true. As a church, I believe we should do the same thing. Focus on what is true in order to identify what is false. Is there compromise in the Christian community at large? Yes. What do we do about it? Teach the truth. That's what we do. Because sometimes the church can be its own worst enemy. (laughs) We can assume the role of a vigilante who takes the law into our own hands. As, As soon as someone steps out of line or says the wrong thing, boom, we pull the trigger and label them as a heretic. We shoot to kill and ask questions later. But we need to understand that every misguided teacher is not necessarily a false teacher. Just because you don't agree with someone doesn't mean that they're a heretic. I think what Peter has done here is very helpful in us discerning what is a false teacher. He he gives us qualities of those who who teach things secretly that are destructive to the church. It's what I call the the unholy trinity. He, He describes them for us when he names them. He says immorality, greed, and deceit. The unholy trinity. Immorality, greed, and deceit. Be shrewd as serpents and look closely because false teachers often live a secret life. People can say all the right things, but their behavior will eventually reveal their true beliefs. An immoral lifestyle is always, always, always rooted in selfishness. It is the choice that is made to do what feels good to me. Me. And Peter tells us, if this is the unrepentant pattern of someone's life, that person has not decided to live under the authority of Christ. They have chosen and said to let sin reign. And Jesus will not share the throne of your heart with anything or anyone else. He's a jealous God. The false teachers are comfortable living this life because in the end, it's all about what's best for them. Another word for this attitude is is greed, right? It's the selfish choice of personal satisfaction even at someone else's expense. I'm in control and I'll do what I want. A little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of me. That's what they do. False teachers will commercialize the truth so that you will buy into their lies. Just enough Jesus to numb your conscience, but not enough to change your life. And that is a false teaching. It is not true. Jesus changes your life. And he deserves all of you. Not some of you. Immorality. Greed. Deceit. It's the unholy trinity of the false teachers. We should be aware of these qualities, but I believe our focus should be on what is true and what is right. In fact, if you would, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's close up looking at these verses together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. 
And I want you to think about this, in in particular verse 25, because I believe what Paul is writing to Timothy is intended to instruct him in what to do in the correction of dangerous doctrines, things that that aren't in alignment with what is true in Scripture. And and here's what he says about how we should respond. He said, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, it won't come from you, it will come from God, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive, captive by him to do his will. That's the slavery. I believe this is the counterattack to false teachers and our responsibility to those who might be persuaded by their words. As I read this, three things really jump out at me. There's plenty. This is a whole other sermon, and we won't go there. But three things really stick out to me as I read this passage. Don't pick fights. Don't be defensive. And be gentle in your correction. As a follower of Christ, we are called to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Our goal is to make sure we understand before we condemn. Paul tells Timothy, don't be quarrelsome by going into a conversation looking for a fight. You'll get one. And it may do no good in leading someone to a knowledge of the truth. And personally, I think it helps if we understand right up front. He even says there, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Oh, excuse me, one more. Able to teach, patient when wrong. What that tells me is expect to be wrong. Expect to be misrepresented. Expect to be misunderstood. It's part of standing up for what is true. And instead of being defensive, you must learn, I must learn, I am learning to be patient. Slow to retaliate. Quick to forgive. Proverbs tells us that harsh words stir up anger, but a gentle word turns away wrath. Be tender in your correction. Give grace to people as you lead them to a knowledge of the truth. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. False teachers will always coexist with those who speak the truth. But it's not our job to destroy them. In fact, if we're too quick to pull the trigger, I believe we end up shooting each other more than the enemy. I'm personally convinced now more than ever, that there are far more Christians hurt and killed in the name of righteous anger than there are false teachers who have ever been inhibited by our assaults. I truly believe that. In fact, I was visiting with a pastor here in town just this past week, been in ministry for over 35 years, and he said, Todd, you know what? He said, I've found that the most hurtful and critical people I know are church people who know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And of all people, they should know better. I pray with all my heart that it looks different in this church, filled with these church people, myself included. May we submit ourselves to the authority of Christ and the counsel of his word. As brothers and sisters in Christ, let us walk with him in the context of an undivided church. There's too much at stake here. We represent Jesus Christ. To the world. May the way of truth not be maligned. 
May we be a place where truth is taught and, and unity is preserved. And if this is our commitment, I personally believe this is our best defense against false teachers because they have no platform with which to speak from if we live in this manner. Let's make this our commitment. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And sometimes your word is strong and clear and forceful. Sometimes it's gentle and soft. But when your reputation, the reputation of your image in the church is at stake, it's clear. We need to be a people who are committed to the counsel of your truth, living in submission to your authority because of your ownership, because of the price you paid on the cross on our behalf, a debt we owed that you cover for us and wash us clean. May we not fall into the trap of segregating our life. What a lie to think that we can fulfill certain responsibilities which give us permission to indulge in others. The false teachers promote that fervently, and it is not true. Father, help us to see those things clearly. And may we see them because we study and understand and talk about, and may it invade all of our conversations to consider what you have revealed to us in your word so that we know what is good and right and true and be committed to following that above all things. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.